Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to the most erudite podcast devoted to alpine skiing, Season 2 of This Is Your Host, Jackson Hogan, back to regale you with, well, everything there is to know about alpine skiing. In today's episode, I attempt to answer the most basic of questions. Why listen to me? In a media landscape littered with self-anointed experts, why should my advice be heeded ahead of all pretenders? What are my bona fides? What have I ever done to earn your precious trust? I realize that listening to the pronoun I repeated interminably will cause brain cancer in rats, but it's hard to avoid in this context, so please forgive me. As I weave through my personal narrative, please remember that it is due to the bottomless generosity of our members that RealSkiers.com is able to bring you this episode of Jackson Illuminates Everything About Skiing, uncluttered by commercial appeals. And now, why listen to me? I have to admit up front, some parts of my skiing resume aren't much to write home about. My undergraduate racing career was underwhelming. Yale, then as now, wasn't regarded as a ski racing academy, and my tenure as a ski instructor at Topper Mountain the year it opened was mercifully brief. I was a so-so freestyle competitor, better known for aggression than grace, so there really are no laurels from my misspent youth to qualify me as any kind of equipment guru. All I seemed to know about ski gear was how to break it, which I did a lot. I started to build a more credible career when, in 1978, Solomon North America hired me to a newly created experimental position called Service Representative, a suitably nebulous title. My job was to do four-hour live binding certification clinics for three sales territories in Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico. I made $9,600 in annual salary. I remember that my travel budget was considerably larger. In year two, the Intermountain region was added to my travel schedule, so I tootled around in a banged-up van across Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. And yes, I was the one who got it all banged up. I got very low marks for vehicle maintenance. It was at the end of my first year in the field that my career trajectory was altered forever. And here's where my life begins to be relevant to you, dear listener. I was plucked out of the hinterlands to fly to Solomon headquarters in Annecy, France, or as we say in French, Annecy, to script a film to be used in the following fall's roadshows. Why was a newbie chosen for this task? Because I was fluent in French, and the French company had a huge product launch in the near future, and the product manager responsible for it in North America had recently quit. So... I got the summons on the pretense that I was supposed to help to draft a movie about the binding division, and I did so on the plane when it became apparent to me that I was the one who was actually going to have to write the video we were going to shoot. And while we were shooting, the call came out from someone in the newly created boot product division to get my little butt over to Césard, which is a little town near Annecy where the boot division was just starting to come to life. And there, I met a man named Thierry de Chalvron, a man with an absolutely enormous head. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the caricatures of Barry Bonds that were done in Doonesbury. Anyway, wonderful guy. And he hands me this boot Bible, or as we French called it, a Bible technique. And it was my job to translate this considerable tome from French to English and then present it to the field force in North America in a two-day training at the Parker House in Boston 
in which I, the lowliest field rep, the, the service representative out in the hinterlands, was presenting to the entire North American field force. After which they shuttled me out the door. I dashed back to Colorado where I married my bride, sweet Stephanie, more or less the, the next day. Uh, zoom, zoom, um, honeymoon off in the Virgin Gorda and then back to work and <laughs> driving across the Intermountain region doing certifications. So what became of this Bible technique? Well, it eventually it became the first boot fit manual I'm aware of during this era in which we had instructions going to shops and we had boot certification clinics as well as binding certification clinics that I became suddenly responsible for drafting after they plucked me from the field and put me in an office position in Peabody, Massachusetts, again, on the lowest available rung. And if they didn't have a lowest available rung, they created a lower one <laughs> when attached me to it. So I served as a certification coordinator, rather lowly position, for a period of time until one by one the people above me on the totem pole either fell into a large bindle of something they shouldn't have fallen into or they quit or they were fired. There was a certain amount of turmoil and turnover and every time there was a little turnover I rose a little bit higher in the, in the standings in the company if you will. So eventually I became the product manager with the North American portfolio for all products including the boot, which was such a big secret when I was first entering the company, and eventually would include a ski, even though by the time I left in 1987, the company had yet to make a ski, we were already preparing the North American Field Force by conducting ski tests. And that was where I first got my indoctrination in how to formally conduct a ski test by trying to inculcate certain values into the North American Solomon Field Force prior to the arrival of the actual ski a couple of years later. While I was Solomon, I did a bunch of things which enhanced my resume and I think continue to inform what I'm able to do today. I became the general secretary of the ASTM F27 Committee on Ski Safety, largely because of my Solomon portfolio and also because I had the capacity for doing it. And on my end, I wanted control of the record. There were some very silly things said in that room that did not need to make it into the public domain. So I wanted control of the record, which being general secretary allowed me to do. This was a very interesting period because most of the work done by ASTM is invisible. That is, the bindings suddenly start, turn up one year and they're all certified. And you, the boots similarly go from having a hodgepodge of possible sole shapes to having a unified sole shape. And that generally happens without the people most affected by it, the end users, really being aware that it's going on at all. But that wasn't exactly what was going on at that period. Yes, that also was going on. We were drafting the complementary binding specifications to go along with the recently passed ISO boot specifications, which we now call the DIN sole, but it's been an ISO sole ever since. At any rate, there was shop legislation involved as well. I say legislation, which really isn't the right term, but it had the de facto effect of legislation. If we passed standards on shop practices, whether the shops were aware of it or not, they were going to suddenly be liable for meeting these new standards. And as the product guy in North America and the head of the SIA Skiing Safety Committee and, and also being General Secretary of the ASTM, I was trying to steer this volatile standard on shop practices, both for retail and for rental, through the current maze. There was retailers rebelling all around. There was an entire retail 
support group, if you will, created by people that wanted to stop these shop standards and this meddling in their affairs, unaware of the fact that this train was coming down the tracks. These standards were going to pass. Yet I manipulated the votes to some degree within ASTM, knowing full well what the bylaws were and what we were allowed and not allowed to do, so that I could sort of slow the train down a little bit and allowed for a co-equivalent standard of care to exist out in the world by allowing people follow either Solomon's prior shop practices or to preview the new ASTM shop practices. And by thereby sort of paving the way for their adoption, tried to make the dealer community aware of what they had to do, or else they would have been exposed to liability like you would not believe. Bear in mind, during this period of time, Solomon was being sued between four and 600 times a year because skiing injuries occur, and skiing injuries always involve blame, and blame involves the binding. So everyone came after us for money because we were the binding in so many different cases, because we had excellent market share and great penetration of both the retail and the rental markets. So that meant a lot of exposure, exposure that we had to control. Hence, we had binding indemnity. Hence, we take control of the defenses that are being offered all around the country so that we don't get any precedents passed that will make life so much more difficult for us in the future. So we wanted to take control of all of this litigation so that we could guide the outcome to safe shores and not put the entire world of skiing at further risk. It was, in, in fact, a pretty big job at the time, and it was only a small fraction of my responsibilities as the capo di tutti produiti in the Solomon North American zone. So I leave Solomon in 1987, intending to become, <laughs> I laugh because how many people have said this, a screenwriter. So I listened to a couple of lectures on screenwriting, and I said, hey, look at me, I'm a screenwriter. So I wrote a bunch of screenplays, but that doesn't concern you, dear listener. Let's let's veer back <laughs> to what we did for skiing after leaving Solomon. For two years, I toured the country doing the skiing magazines, mechanics and managers workshops with the likes of Carl Etlinger and Jim Dynas and the wonderful Bob Gleason, who continues to be an absolutely fabulous boot guru out there in the real world, and sometimes you'll even find him still working the boot bench down in Telluride at Boot Doctors, but I digress. So I lectured on ski tech and selling skills and risk management, did that for a couple of years, and then along comes the New York Times Magazine group, and they tapped me to be the first equipment editor for the newly created Snow Country Magazine, which was the first startup magazine for the New York Times Magazine group. So it was a very big deal for them. And within a few years, we became the number one North American ski publication in terms of circulation. At one time, we had the largest circulation in the world. And the reason this is relevant to you, dear reader, is I wrote all of the equipment testing for boots and skis and even bindings for snow country. And I did that for many years and hired a superb test crew. I couldn't have done it without them, that's for darn sure. But I also created a methodology and a database and did a lot of things that were regarded as very innovative at the time. We were the first to ever say, this ski finishes first, this ski finishes second, this ski finishes third, as opposed to the, oh, the gold medal for you and the gold medal for you and the gold medal for you, and everyone gets a participation medal, essentially. Well, I called bullshit on all of that and said, no, if you're doing prototype testing, 
you're not trying to find the top four skis. You're trying to find the top one ski. So even if I would cover 26 skis in a category, which sometimes happened, the ski market was much bigger then. Nonetheless, we would boil it down to a top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, until we got through the, what we considered to be what I would now call at realskiers.com a recommended list of skis. Because beyond a certain point, they are no longer a recommended. It was an incredible time to be doing this. The ski market was much more diverse. There were so many skis to ski that my ski test actually ran for three weeks and the boot test was tacked on the end of that for another week. But the ski test alone would take three full weeks. There isn't a ski test in the world that runs that long. There isn't a ski test being conducted today that runs more than about four and a half days max. So you can imagine the difference in the amount of attention to detail that we paid over a longer period of time to help people identify the best possible skis. During the same period, I also wrote reviews for the London Daily Mail ski magazine, also numbering in the hundreds. I also wrote for ski business and snow country business and ski tech. By the way, I was the one who coined the generic term shape skis when everyone wanted to use the word parabolic, and we were about to go to press for snow country business. And I remember Andy Bigford calling me on the phone and say, shaped or shape? And I said, shaped with a D. And that coinage has stuck ever since. I also wrote for Warren Miller, as far as I know, the only person up till that point in time who had ever written for Warren and for Warren to utter, which he did not do for much longer. Actually, I was the bridge between the Warren years and the after Warren years, since the last script that I wrote was in fact narrated by Jeremy Bloom, an experiment that didn't last terribly long before the wonderful Johnny Mosley got behind the mic shortly thereafter. I also wrote a Warren Miller Entertainment title called The Truth About Skiing, a <laughs> very, very modest title. That was a multimedia extravaganza. It included video and a couple of cassettes, including some incredibly embarrassing today feature-length cassettes called Axe Jackson. When my time at Snow Country came to an end, I did three feature-length TV shows for the Outdoor Life Network with co-host Pam Fletcher, absolutely delightful human being. You should definitely get to know Pam if you can. And I also hosted a special on the Outdoor Show for Outdoor Life Network. This was a TV career that absolutely went nowhere. And I'm not sure how much it helps what I'm doing today, but nonetheless, a little nick in the resume. And I also co-created with Bob Woodward and Paul Kerwin, Girorama.com, one of the first digital platforms for ski reviews. And I co-hosted The Gear Guys with Paul Hockman on the Resort Sports Network, where we would shoot 12 segments in a day. And after that, I did something which is getting back to more relevant to you, dear listener. I designed Scott's first ski line. It was a three-model series that debuted in the Swiss market went from paper to product in less than two years. It was another interesting moment in my life. I dare say there's no one else writing with the frequency that I do about the sport of alpine skiing who has also designed a complete ski line from scratch. I also then began working with Head Winter Sports in product development, marketing, and team management. I conceived Head's first website and created a free ride team with Johnny Mosley, Allison Gannett, Rex Werman, and Darian Boyle, among others. And in April 2000, head athletes swept the awards at the U.S. Nationals in Crested Butte. So I had a reasonably successful tenure at head, but they nonetheless booted me out of there in 2001. As a parting gift or parting obligation, 
they asked me to create a video out of some footage that they'd acquired, and hence we produced Hotel Bella Coola. And the reason I mention it here is that was my first opportunity to work with Greg Stump, as he was the person in a t tiny little condo in Hawaii where we put together the Hotel Bella Coola project. And as I say, while Hotel Bella Coola has happily been lost to the mists of time. My relationship with Greg Stump remains vibrant and exciting, and if you want to hear some interviews with him, you should check out other podcasts on this very channel. It was in the same time frame that I co-created with Dave Bertoni Desperate Measures, which is a comprehensive retail training system replete with manuals and videos and workshop tools, and it was quite the production, and it was, I'd say, reasonably successful, but you cannot beat market fundamentals, and when markets get sideways, one of the first things to get cut is training. So we were creating magnificent castles that turned out to be made of sand. But nonetheless, we persevered and created something called Planet Hospitality, which was a personnel training system for resorts. <laughs> I chuckled because the only time, as far as I know, that Planet Hospitality was ever presented in its entirety was to the tiny little ski resort at Sipapu, New Mexico. Sipapu, just as it sounds. S-I-P-A-P-U, New Mexico. Glorious resort. Anyway, they were kind enough to hire me to give a training that I think sailed over the heads of most of the folks in the audience, but, you know, such is life. During this period, I continued to ski test for Ski Magazine and boot test for Ski Magazine. This went on for 15 to 20 years, so I always stayed in touch with the ski market. I was always attending product introductions. I was always being let into the back room at manufacturer after manufacturer. I'm sure I could count up the number of factories I've visited. It's a knowable number. I just haven't bothered to. <laughs> Point being, I've watched the evolution of every major brand for the last 40 years. I understand this industry from the inside out. I continue to fit boots with live ammunition, that is you, dear listener, <laughs> at Bobo's Ski and Board in Reno, Nevada, where I am sometimes referred to as the boot whisperer, terribly, terribly sweet of them. And I'm regarded as a ski historian, as I've contributed over the years several articles to skiing history, including profiles of Rick Sylvester and the recently inducted into the U.S. Skiing and Snowboarding Hall of Fame, Sven Coomer, perhaps the greatest designer in our domain that we, will, we have ever had and may ever have again. And of course, I continue to do realskiers.com. And the whole point of this is to say, when you're looking for a real expert, don't go to some forum where 90% of what you're going to hear is babble. Don't go to people who have less background, or in some cases, no background, who are posing as experts. Come see me. Because if you become a member of realskiers.com, you get direct access to me, and I don't make something up that's boilerplate and then send it off to every reader who writes to me. I hand curate, if you will, every single response, and I stay with you until we get to a solution. So that's different from how everybody else operates, and it's certainly from a different background, which has been the whole point of this particular podcast. So... If you want the best information, please come see me at realskiers.com. We're the only place out there that is 100% on your side and on the side of the good guys. That is the specialty retailers who have become expert in boot fitting so that all skiers can enjoy this sport at the highest possible level. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.